Good evening, Saints of Resurrection. It's a privilege to be with you all again. We'll be turning one final time to 2 Samuel 12 as we wrap up this mini-series on the life of David. In the prior two sermons, we first saw David's descent into sin and how he went from lust to adultery to murder and lying to cover up his sin. Then we saw the gracious rebuke of the Lord through Nathan the prophet and how God brought David to repentance but also the deadly consequences of his sin. The last words that Nathan spoke to David was that he promised that the child born between David and Bathsheba would die as a consequence of, Nathan's, of David's sin. Excuse me. And this is where our text picks up tonight. So we'll be in 2 Samuel chapter 12, starting in the middle of verse 15. Hear the word of the Lord to you. And the Lord afflicted the child that Uriah's wife bore to David, and he became sick. David therefore sought God on behalf of the child. And David fasted and went in and lay all night on the ground. And the elders of his house stood beside him to raise him from the ground, but he would not, nor did he eat food with them. On the seventh day, the child died, and the servants of David were afraid to tell him that the child was dead. For they said, Behold, while the child was yet alive, we spoke to him, and he did not listen to us. How then can we say to him, The child is dead? He may do himself some harm. But when David saw that his servants were whispering together, David understood that the child was dead. And David said to his servants, Is the child dead? They said, He is dead. Then David arose from the earth and washed and anointed himself and changed his clothes. And he went into the house of the Lord and worshipped. He then went to his own house, and when he asked, they set food before him, and he ate. Then his servants said to him, What is this thing that you have done? You fasted and wept for the child while he was alive. But when the child died, you arose and ate food. He said, While the child was still alive, I fasted and wept. For I said, Who knows whether the Lord will be gracious to me, that the child may live. But now he is dead. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he will not return to me. Then David comforted his wife Bathsheba and went into her and lay with her, and she bore a son. And he called his name Solomon, and the Lord loved him, and sent a message by Nathan the prophet. So he called his name Jedidiah because of the Lord. Now Joab fought against Rabbah of the Ammonites and took the royal city. And Joab sent messengers to David and said, I have fought against Rabbah. Moreover, I have taken the city of waters. Now then, gather the rest of the people together and encamp against the city and take it, lest I take the city and it be called by my name. So David gathered all the people together and went to Rabbah and fought against it and took it. And he took the crown of their king from his head. The weight of it was a talent of gold, and in it was a precious stone, and it was placed on David's head. And he brought out the spoil of the city, a very great amount. And he brought out the people who were in it, and set them to labor with saws and iron picks and iron axes, and made them toil at the brick kilns. And thus he did to all the cities of the Ammonites. Then David and all the people returned to Jerusalem. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, we need your light to see your words and to understand them. We pray that you would give us your light, that we might... See, that we might hear your truth, and that we might apply it to our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. 
So when we left David's story last time, we had finally seen a change in David. No longer was he walking in the hardness of his heart, adding sin to sin, but he repented before the Lord. Nathan declares God's forgiveness, but he also declared that the child born to David would die. And then Nathan went home. The text leaves us thankful for the change that we've seen in David, but in the text, we're left unsure if this is real. We're also left with a sense of dread for what's going to happen to this child. Our text tonight addresses both aspects of that situation. We've looked in the past on the depth of where sin takes us and at the discipline that it receives. But now we get to see the beauty of a sinner restored by the Lord. David's story here in this section ends with peace. It ends with hope and with blessing. David's story provides hope for sinners like us, too. What I want to highlight for you tonight is that God graciously restores those who repent. Therefore, you can turn to him no matter your past and have joy in the Lord. If you're walking in sin unrepentant right now, know that God will restore you when you turn to him. If this, by God's grace, is not where you are, then please remember these things so that when we do fall into sin, that we can quickly turn to our Lord again. And for all of us, I want us to see that our God is a God who is gracious and merciful. And so let's reflect on his character tonight. The text that we read naturally divides into three episodes, which you probably see in your Bible with different headers. We'll take each of these in turn as we see God's grace to repentant sinners through each one. The length of these points will mirror the length of the text as we look at the death of David's son, the birth of Solomon, and finally the destruction of the Ammonites. And through each of these accounts, we'll see how David has been restored by God in a different way. So let's first look at how David's actions show evidence of God's gracious renewal of his soul. Let's start in verse 15. And the Lord afflicted the child that Uriah's wife bore to David, and he became sick. For most of us, this opening line is startling. It's counter to what we expect of our good God, that he is afflicting this child with sickness. But we have to remember that God controls life. 1 Samuel 2, verse 6 says, The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and raises up. Even if we don't understand or can't see, we have to always remember that God's afflictions are just. Listen to Deuteronomy 5, verses 8 through 10, where he is giving the second commandment. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is on the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. This is hard, but God is free to visit the iniquity of fathers on their children, and we have to trust in his good justice in this. What we see then is David's response in verses 16 and 17. David therefore sought God on behalf of the child, and David fasted and went in and lay all night on the ground. And the elders of his house stood beside him to raise him up from the ground, but he would not, nor did he eat food with them. See, David's actions show that his heart has truly changed. 
He is finally seeking the Lord. He knows that this discipline is from God. He had a direct word from the Lord telling him that. But he goes in repentance to God. He asks for mercy. And he pleads on behalf of his son. He's no longer thinking only of himself. But he's pleading and acting on behalf of another. On his son who he pleads for. Joel 2 verses 12 through 14. Beautifully describe what David is doing here. These verses also come in the context of God's judgment. Listen to these words. Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning, and rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. Who knows whether he will not turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him, a grain offering and a drink offering for the Lord your God. This describes why David goes to God. He knows God's character, that God is merciful and gracious. So he has hope that God will restore the child, even though he has pronounced the sentence of judgment on him. As David goes and he seeks God on behalf of the child, he fasts and he prays sacrificially for a week. This This right response to David's sin costs him. It can be costly to respond in the way that we should after we have sinned. Perhaps you've fasted for a meal or for a whole day even. David's fasting for a whole week. That's a difficulty that I honestly would have a lot of trouble with and have trouble even imagining. David doesn't even go to his bed to sleep. He just lies on the ground. He's fasting here so that he can focus solely on prayer to God. Calvin says that fasting prepares us to pray and to apply ourselves wholly to the Lord. It shows that David is dependent on God, and it shows that David is not being distracted from anything else to seek the Lord and to intercede on his son's behalf. David's also humbling himself. He knows he's responsible, and so he humbly seeks the Lord. Ultimately, what this prayer does as we look to it, though, is it shows David's repentance. It shows the changed heart that God has worked in David and that he is no longer acting for himself but on behalf of another. It shows God's restoration of David's soul. And let's see also how David responds when God answers his prayer with a no. Verses 18 through 20. On the seventh day the child died, and the servants of David were afraid to tell him that the child was dead. For they said, Behold, while the child was yet alive, we spoke to him, and he did not listen to us. How then can we say to him, The child is dead? He may do himself some harm. But when David saw that his servants were whispering together, David understood that the child was dead. And David said to his servants, Is the child dead? They said, He is dead. Listen to David's response. Then David arose from the earth and washed and anointed himself and changed his clothes. And he went into the house of the Lord and worshipped. He then went to his own house. And when he asked, they set food before him, and he ate. God answers David's prayer request with a no. The child dies. God has the freedom to answer our prayers with a no. God is not a vending machine, so even our good requests, even prayers rightly sought of God, he can say no to. This does not mean that God didn't hear David or doesn't love him. But it does mean that God is sovereign. David truly prays without ceasing until this child dies. 
But when God's answer is clearly no, David turns to worship. This is unexpected. There's a long bit in the text here of where the servants are taken completely off guard by what David does. It's not our normal response. But I want you all to realize that David is not responding with some fake Pollyannaism or some stoicism. Grief is normal and natural. And David's here been grieving for this child for a whole week already. But what David is doing is he's contentedly accepting the Lord's decision. I'm reminded of the words of Job that when he lost all of his children, he says, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Worshiping to David is more important than even eating after he's been fasting for a week. He first goes to praise the Lord and to worship him. This shows David's faith in God. It shows that he's seeking God not just for the blessings that he can receive, but because he loves the Lord and because he wants to worship him. Worshiping is a priority for his life. But David also eats. He also goes home because there's no more reason to fast now that the child is dead. And David is not grieving without hope. You see, he has submitted to God's discipline, but he also hopes in a future resurrection. This is the reason that he gives in verse 23. Let me read that for us. He, that is David, said, While the child was still alive, I fasted and wept. I'm sorry, verse 23. But now he is dead. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he will not return to me. When David says he will go to the child, he has a hope of much more than just a limbo or some place for the dead, but he has a hope in a new life, a new experience that he'll get to have with this child. David believes in the resurrection. He believes in the God who is the resurrection and the life, and that's where his hope comes from. This, again, is evidence of the renewed soul, the renewed faith in God that David has been given. So, Christian, when you have sinned and repent, God will restore you too. You can again have joy in worship. Coming here can be a joyful event for you and something that's a priority in your life. You can have the peace with God that we see that David has. You can hope in the Lord and not despair. A restored soul is the first evidence of God's work of true repentance in your life. You can look for these signs of change in your own heart when you have sinned and come back to the Lord. It's not easy to respond in faith like this. It shows that God is working in David's heart, and it can show the same in your heart. Now, I will say this doesn't mean that we don't grieve. In David's case, he knew that this was specifically God's loving discipline. But we rarely have that kind of clarity when tragedy strikes. You also will likely not be able to grieve in advance the way that David did. But you can pray that God will fill you with peace as he did David. In this section of the text, we see that David is restored in his faith and in his spiritual life. He is serving others by interceding for his son. and He's seeking the Lord again. The next section of our text shows that God's favor is also restored to David. Look with me at verses 24 and 25 to see David restored to God's favor. Then David comforted his wife Bathsheba and went in to her and lay with her, and she bore a son. And he called his name Solomon, and the Lord loved him and sent a message by Nathan the prophet. So he called his name Jedidiah because of the Lord. 
we're encouraged and reminded that God has not ended David's line. God is raising up sons for David as he has promised to carry on his name in 2 Samuel chapter 7. And we know that ultimately Solomon is the one through whom the kingdom is established after David dies. At this point in the story, we don't know all those details. But what is clear is that God is blessing David again. David's repentance has restored him to favor and blessing from God. Now, the, name, the meaning of the name Solomon is debated, but I think it's best to understand it as from the same root as shalom or peace. And so David is really here signifying that he has peace with God by his naming Solomon. And then the Lord comes through Nathan the prophet and gives him another name, Jedidiah, which means beloved of the Lord. And so God also shows that he is at peace with David and shows that he loves David and loves his son Solomon. What a comfort this must be to David and Bathsheba. Think about the fact that they had lost their first child together, but now God promises that he loves this new child. God chose to love Solomon. And you know what? He chooses to love you too, Christian. When God chose to love you, that was not a one-time thing in eternity past. But it's true for us even when we fail. Nothing can separate us from the love of God, including our sin. And so even when we sin, we know that God's love allows us to repent and to return to him. Every one of you here who believes in Christ, and you children who are born to believing parents, know that God loves you. God has looked on you with love and favor, and this should be a comfort and allow you to safely repent and return to him. We also see that God can bring good out of your evil. This does not excuse or fix what David did, but God can redeem our failures. Solomon, after all, is the one through which the temple is built, the place where atonement is made for God's people, the place where God's presence come and visibly dwells amongst his people. David in our text is said to worship in the house of the Lord. This would just simply refer to the tent he set up for the Ark of the Covenant in Jerusalem. But we know that later Solomon comes and builds the temple of the Lord. After repentance, God can leave a blessing behind him. Remember the words of Joel chapter 2? That God can turn and leave a blessing. And that's what he does for David. He leaves him a new son, Solomon, beloved of the Lord, to carry on his name and his kingdom. No matter how you've sinned, you can experience God's blessing again. God restores blessing to those who are repentant. It is God's grace that leaves this blessing after punishment, not something that we have earned or can earn. Let this give you hope. As we see from these short verses that God has restored blessing to David, in our final section, we also see that David is restored to his role of leading the Lord's armies. You may remember that this whole episode with David started when the army went out to fight the Ammonites and David stayed home. But now Joab gives a call to David to return and to join the armies as he seeks to take the city. David is being called to return to his faithful service, his role as king in leading God's people. This is what he would neglected to do at the beginning, but God is giving him as it were, a second chance in restoring him to his function. Rabbah here is the city, uh, the capital city of the Ammonites. When it refers to the city of waters, that's most likely 
the strong fortifications that would have been around the city's water supply. And so when that is taken, the city can't hold out much longer in a siege. Joab is functioning as a good servant here. He doesn't want the glory for himself, but for his king, David. And so David does what he's asked. He sends and he gathers the army of all Israel, and he comes, he conquers the city of Rabbah, and God gives him great spoil, a gold crown with a mighty jewel on top. It says great spoil was taken from the city. They conquer all the cities of the Ammonites and put the people to work as forced labor. God is showing again his favor in this victory. But what's, I think, most important to see from this section is that despite David's sin, God has restored him to his ministry. Sin can severely impact our ability to minister to the Lord. It can even affect our eligibility for service to God. But God's faithful restoration of sinners includes restoring them to useful ministry. No matter how much or how far you've messed up, God still has a purpose and a plan and use for your life. If God can restore David to being king, then he can restore you to useful ministry as well. I want you to consider that David's restoration was not complete until he returned to actively serving God in the role that he had been given. Don't bench yourself because of your past sins. You may be called to a different work now, but God still has a calling and God still has a use for you. God desires and delights in the full restoration of his people. Listen also to 2 Timothy 2, verses 20 and 21. Now in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. If you have been, if your vessel has been dirtied by your sin, know that God will cleanse it through your repentance and restore you to honorable service. You can be again a useful vessel for the master of the house, ready for every good work. You may remember that this mini-series started with the army setting out against the Ammonites. And as the warfare with the Ammonites concludes, it signals the conclusion of this whole section of the text. But before we leave it, I want to consider briefly some of the lessons that we can draw from this part of David's life. First, repent quickly. And when you repent, know that God will restore you too. God is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. This is the God that we serve. And he is a God who relents over disaster. There are consequences to sin. There is true suffering from our sin. And it can be hard to see God's grace in his discipline. But God blesses repentance with restoration. God restores the repentance. He restores their faith so that their soul is renewed and so that their spiritual life is reinvigorated. God will also restore the evidence of his love, his blessing, and his favor to those who are repentant. And God restores your work for the Lord. God restores you to service and to useful ministry for his kingdom. God's restoration is complete. Now, when I spoke of Solomon earlier and how he shows the good God can bring from evil, I left something out, or I stopped the story short, you might say. 
Let me read Matthew 1, verses 1 and verses 6 for us. Verse 1 of Matthew 1. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. At the very beginning of Matthew's gospel, he shows us that Jesus is descended from David. Despite David's sins, he still ultimately bears the Messiah. And then he gives us more detail in verse 6. And Jesse, the father of David the king, and David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. In giving the lineage of Jesus, God doesn't cover over the mistakes in David's past. In fact, he specifically calls them out by referring to Bathsheba as Uriah's wife, loudly declaring the adultery in David's past. But yet it is through this marriage that Solomon is born. And it's through this Solomon that ultimately Christ comes. Solomon is the one through which the great king comes who finally atones for sin, who finally deals with it fully. And this is why we can have hope. This is why God takes away our sin. And this is why we can be restored. Because the anointed son of David and Solomon came to make all things new. He came to deal with your sin so that you can be restored fully when you repent. As you reflect on the new year, and make resolutions, perhaps. Resolve to walk by faith in this great king. This great king who restores his people. Let that faith lead you to trust the Lord's restoration so that you can repent quickly. And so that you can have peace from trusting him. Have peace in that with our merciful Lord who delights to, store his, to restore his humble and repentant people. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you that you are a God who restores us when we sin. Father, though we fail, your mercy is much greater. And you are a God who abounds in loving kindness to your people. We give you thanks and praise you for this. In Jesus' name, amen.